run it through 2,000 years, and here is the issue for us. The issue for us is that we still do that. We still go after things. We still chase after things, good people, good things that grab our attention and would and we would place our hope in. Things that John would say, don't go after that. Don't follow after John the Baptist. Follow after Jesus. John the Baptist is merely a witness. He's merely pointing you to the real deal. The Apostle John here for us is essentially putting a a warning label on John the Baptist. And he does it not once, but he does it twice right here in the opening section of John 1. That place where it should all be completely devoted to Christ. John feels the need to be sure to warn us about John the Baptist. Be careful. Not that John the Baptist was interested in being a counterfeit, but that we are interested in making John the Baptist a counterfeit. Do you see the difference? John had John the Baptist had no interest in holding himself up. Every possible point along the way, what is he saying? There's Jesus. I'm not worthy to to untie his sandals. I'm not worried to, I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. There is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John couldn't have been any clearer about who he was. Don't put it on John. Put it on those who wanted to make John something he wasn't. And there is the challenge for us. What if, what if, the things that we wanted to put too much on actually came with a warning label. What if your, what if your spouse, your significant other came with that warning label? Right? Don't look to me to heal your diseases, to make all of life right. I mean, how many of us have put that kind of a pressure on someone that we're close to? On a child. How many of us have have put that on a job, that kind of significance, right? That standing where our happiness is so wrapped up in that item that were it taken away from us, we would be as though dead. Yeah, we do it all the time. And so what if those things came? Don't, don't, don't count on me. What if your bank account had that? Right? Don't count on me to make you happy. So let's look just quickly at these three parts. You see the problem? Here's the problem. And, you know, there's the way, the way that Tim Keller, uh, put it in his book that we're going to be doing. It's back on the, uh, back on the table, Counterfeit Gods. I highly recommend it. That is going to be a really powerful Sunday school class and a great study. And as he puts it there, right, we make good things into ultimate things. And when we do that, they become bad things. They're poison for us. And so we want to be careful about that. And that's that's the big overarching problem, right? The problem here was that they looked to John the Baptist to be a savior when Jesus is the only real savior. And we do that all the time. John's reminder, John's, uh, John's admission here for us 
um, is that it isn't always just as simple as look at Jesus. That his reminder is right. He could have just said, "Here's Jesus," and 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 John one could have gone on without any caution, any cautionary note, um, any of that. He could have just said, "Just look at." Jesus, but he didn't. He warns us. He wants to wants to make us aware of the issue. John the Baptist wasn't the light, but he wore bore witness to the light. He wasn't the ultimate thing, but he was used by God to point to the ultimate thing. And we need to ask ourselves when we think about that: Where are we tempted to make things ultimate in our lives? Um, are there people that we look to to do too much for our hearts? Are there things that we're chasing after in order to meet some need that really can't be met uh, by that item other than the gospel? Um, are we too hopeful uh, that something besides the gospel is going to make us whole and happy? And we need to be on the lookout for those things, careful that we don't make them into ultimate things. So I, I was thinking about this week, thinking about this. I read this guy's uh, uh, blog post, and he, he was talking about this idea. And one of the things that he did, which I thought was interesting, is he, he kind of went back to his own life, and he talked about the areas where he had done just that. And one of the places which was striking was he talked about how early in his marriage, when his, he and his wife had children, um, they were not going to church. And um, their kids were starting to grow, and they started thinking about it. And they realized, they thought to themselves, you know, we need to start going to church. If we want good children, if we want our children to grow up and be good children, we need to take them to church. Because that's the place where children go to be good, Right? I mean, it's the factory, so to speak. You take them there, and they're going to be spit out the other side, and they'll be good children. We all know that's not how it works. But that's what this guy confessed. He confessed that church had become this sort of an ultimate item for them where they went. They were going in order for the church to do its hocus-pocus on their children so they would have good children. So the desire of their heart in going to church, was to have good kids. Now, is having good kids, right, is that desire bad? No, that's not a bad desire. We want our children to be good. But you see how they took something, they made it in an ultimate something, okay? And, and that was driving the decision-making process in their life. And, and I thought, how many, how Many of the things in in our life, how many things in my life have I done that way? Just backwards, just, you know, not, not, not thinking correctly about what it is that God desires for me or my family or my children and how to get there in a fashion that's biblical without making it an, an ultimate item. Um, so that's John's reminder. What's John's solution? John's solution here in the first chapter it's two parts. Let us see Jesus. Okay? And so he is clearly holding the Savior before us. 
And he's talking about who he is. And he uses John the Baptist in the, in the second part. He uses John the Baptist to direct our attention to who Jesus is and what Jesus does, right? And, um, and he's going to do this change. He's going to baptize us with the Spirit. He's going to, that, that, that indicates a heart work. John's saying, listen, all I can do is the symbolic part. Jesus is going to come along and he's going to do that inward part. And so John's solution is to both let us see Jesus and to warn us of those things that aren't. Um, now, those things that aren't Jesus, do they have a purpose? Well, absolutely they have purpose, and they're good things. So in John the Baptist's case, he had a he had a very distinct purpose. He comes along, he's directing attention, he's deflecting away from himself and toward the Savior. And again, at every turn, John the Baptist is saying, not me, him. Not me, him. And he's telling us he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You know, all of these things that John the Baptist is saying. Um, so don't mistake him, but at the same time, he's John is, so he's using, we have two Johns, right? We've got John the Apostle who's carving and crafting the story to show us Jesus. At the same time, he's showing us that which isn't. But don't, don't forget that even those things that aren't Jesus are for our good, right? They point us to God. They're, so if you go back, if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 4, you see the pattern. I say 4, <clears throat> 6. Um, so, and we've referenced this passage before, but in, in Deuteronomy 6, right, there you have the people. And the people are preparing themselves to go into the land. And, and so the law is being re-given to them. And in the middle of that law being given out, um, Moses says to them, verse 10, When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a land with large flourishing cities you didn't build, and houses with all kinds of good things you didn't provide, and wells you didn't dig, and vineyards and olive groves you didn't plant. Verse 12, be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. See, it isn't that those things are bad things, right? God was bringing them into the land. He wanted them to, he wanted them to take possession. And to have all of those good things, the, the wells and the vineyards and the homes and the, all of that is good stuff. But the warning is don't mistake the good stuff. Don't mis, don't mistake the trappings of life with God Himself. Don't confuse the blessing and the blessing giver. And that is a tremendous challenge. And it's a real challenge for people all all over when we come into the Christmas season. Because we've, honestly, we've probably really messed up Christmas. It's just almost impossible to get through the season without just being completely washed up in all the commercialism uh, that goes on. And so it's a real challenge. Um, for the church, right? For us, as we think about the, the time of season and celebrating the gospel and the good things of Christ and what does it mean that he came into the world and he took on flesh and he lived before the law? You know, what are all those parts and what does all of that mean? I mean, the hymns are so full of it. 
they're so full of this gospel, right? Um, he, he comes to set us free far as the curse is found. Um, what curse? Well, that's Genesis 3 reference. It, it's, our hymns are full of it, and, and yet we come and somehow we get wrapped up in so much other stuff. And John's solution is he is opening his gospel is to help us see both the Savior and the item that we could confuse the Savior with. And so he calls our attention to it at the same time. What is John's hope? John's hope is that we will turn our gaze from that which we think will cure us to that which really will. And that's why all through his gospel, what John does is he directs our attention to the Lamb of God. Near the end of John's gospel, he tells us this. He says, John 20, 31, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Verse 31, But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's why he shows us Jesus. That we would see and know the things that Jesus did. That we would move towards him. That we would believe and have life in his name. John the Apostle holds Jesus up as the only way. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There is no way other than Jesus to God the Father. All of the, all of the other religions under the sun are telling us not that God so loved the world, but that you have got to so love God. And you could never love him enough for him to receive you on your own merit. You need a substitute. You need a sacrifice. You need one to stand in your stead. And that's what Jesus has done. And that's why Jesus came. And he's the only way for us. Listen, that is a message that we need to hear each and every day. Maybe you don't need to hear it phrased quite that way. Maybe what you need to hear is, he is, he has stood in your stead. He has died your death. He has fulfilled the righteous demands of the law. Maybe that's how you need to hear it each and every day so that you don't forget what is happening at this time of the year. Let's pray. Father, as we've heard these words and we think about the Word that was made flesh, the one that came down from heaven, the one that laid his glory by. Father, I pray that you would move our hearts to thankfulness this time of year, that you would open our eyes and let us see Christ and all that has happened there. Father, as we sing our hymns and as this evening we come and we hear as the choir sings, Father, may the power in those words be in the gospel message. 
not in the sentimental nature of it all, but in the substantive nature of what has been accomplished for our salvation. Now, Father, move in our hearts. It will be for your glory and it will be for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.